conclude that the bonus was a sham transaction intended to reduce corporate profits and pay less taxes. As a general rule, salaries of less than $500,000 are not challenged, but those that are more are. Many small businesses start as sole proprietorships or partnerships. Sole proprietors can pay themselves whatever they want. It depends almost entirely on how much profit you make, how much money your business needs, and that's what you can afford to pay yourself. Partners must consider the desires of each other when determining how much they will be paid. The same is true for LLCs that have more than one owner, with one caveat. You can make a distribution of profits legally only if doing so does not impair the solvency of the business. 2. Avoid paying yourself as the money comes in. Many small business owners make this mistake. If they have a good month, they take the extra out of the business. If they had a bad month, they don't. Not only does this violate the aforementioned rule of the budgets, but it doesn't account for potential business emergencies. It is imperative that your business checking account always has enough money in it so that if something goes wrong, you can afford to fix it. If you pay yourself whatever comes in every month, saving for a rainy day will be impossible. The smarter thing to do, then, is to come up with a figure to pay yourself that your business can live with and pay that amount to yourself on a consistent basis. Consider the tax consequences. If you have a C-corporation, when you pay yourself, the business is responsible for payroll taxes on the amount you get paid. In the case of a sole proprietor and partnership, whatever profits the business makes flows through onto your personal income tax. Your business profits and losses are considered your personal profits or losses. Partners and sole proprietors are also responsible for the self-employment tax, which runs about 15%. Remaining profitable takes constant attention to detail. Keep track of your margins, and then increasing business or reducing costs as necessary is what is required. Chapter 17. Getting and Extending Credit There are three great friends, an old wife, an old dog, and ready money. That was a quote from Benjamin Franklin. The world runs on credit, and if you are going to run a successful small business, you need to know how to get it and when to give it. Whether it is obtaining a loan to open a new store or extending credit to a new customer, understanding the world of credit is a must. Business Loans You never know when you might need a business loan. You may be chugging along, making a tidy profit every month, doing just fine, and then suddenly you get sick and are unable to work. You have to hire additional help to make up for the time you are away. Or maybe everything is going along just fine when a great opportunity arises, but to take advantage of it requires capital you don't have. Whatever the case, the time will come when you will probably need a business loan. To get one, think like a banker. When lenders look to extend credit, what they are most concerned with are the four C's of credit. 1. Capacity. Will you have the ability to repay the loan? A bank will want to see that your business has sufficient cash flow to service the loan, and thus will ask you for your financial statements to justify and prove up your capacity to repay. It is for this reason that banks are much more apt to loan a business that has been around for a while and has a track record. New startups with little history fail this test. Because of this, the new business, and certainly more established ones too, should consider a loan guaranteed by the SBA. Refer to the charts. 2. Collateral. Can you secure the loan with the same sort of collateral? If the answer is yes, then the likelihood of getting a loan is much greater. Just as banks do not make home loans without securing the loan by getting a deed of trust on the property, so too do they usually require some sort of collateral to secure a business loan. If you do not have collateral, you will likely need a cosigner who does. What sort of collateral do you need? Here is a chart provided by the Small Business Administration examining how different types of collateral are valued by both a bank and by the SBA for its loan guarantee programs. Collateral Type House The bank market value multiplied by 0.75 minus the mortgage balance. The SBA market value multiplied by 0.80 minus the mortgage balance. The car is the bank is nothing and the SBA is nothing. Truck and Heavy Equipment Depreciated value multiplied by 50. The SBA is the same. Office equipment, nothing by bank and nothing by SBA. Furniture and fixtures, depreciated value multiplied by 0.50. SBA is the same. 
inventory perishables. The bank offers nothing, and the SBA offers nothing. Jewelry, the bank offers nothing, SBA offers nothing. Other, 10 to 50% at the bank, also SBA, 10 to 50%. Receivables, by the bank, under 90 days, multiplied by 0.75, and the SBA is under 90 days, multiplied by 0.50. Stock bounds, 50% to 90%, that's both by the bank and the SBA. Mutual funds offers nothing by both the bank and by the SBA. IRA, nothing by the bank and nothing by the SBA. CD, 100% by the bank and 100% by SBA. Three, character. Does your business have a history of repaying loans on time? Do you have a history of paying on time? Because you will likely to be asked to sign a personal guarantee for any business loan you get. Your personal credit history is important. So, before you apply for any loan, you better know what is in your credit report. Start by getting a copy of your credit reports. There are three. Equifax at Post Office Box 740241, Atlanta, Georgia 30374. The phone number is 1-800-685-1111. And internet site is www.equifax.com. Experian at Post Office Box 2002, Allen, Texas, 75013, phone 1-888-397-3742, www.experian.com. TransUnion, Post Office Box 1000, Chester, Pennsylvania, at 19022, phone number 1-800-888-4213, Internet site www.transunion.com. You can get a copy of your business's credit history from Dun and Bradstreet, 1 472 7362. Internet site http dnb.com. If you have a paid account on time, that will be there. If you have been late, that will be there too. A late payment here or there will not affect your ability to get business loans, but a pattern of late payments will charge-offs, judgments, and bankruptcies certainly hurt your case. Next, check for errors and outdated information. Anything aside from a bankruptcy that is more than seven years old should no longer be on your credit report. More importantly, credit reports are rife with factual errors. One billion pieces of credit are reported every month, and along the way, incorrect information ends up on far too many credit reports. The good news is the Fair Credit Reporting Act mandates that any wrong info on your credit card report must be removed once you draw the credit report agency's attention to the mistake. Usually, this takes a few months. So, well before you are going to apply for a business loan, you are advised to get a copy of your credit report and challenge anything that looks fishy. The Fair Credit Reporting Act, 15 U.S.C. 1681-2002, is a powerful tool that you should use. It mandates that incorrect information must be deleted from your credit report if any part of an account is incorrect. As such, if a legitimately late account also has some wrong piece of information attached to it, your name is spelled wrong, an account number is incorrect, and you challenge it, it must be deleted from your report. This is how people clean up their credits. 4. Capital. How much money do you need and why do you need it? You have to come into the bank with financial statements, a business plan, and a solid reason for asking the exact amount you want, how it will be used, and when it will be paid back. Aside from the four C's, banks may also look at two additional factors when determining whether to give you a loan called underwriting. Let's call these the two E's. 1. Equity. When you buy a home and begin to pay it down, you build equity. If the house is worth $100,000 and you owe $75,000, then you have $25,000 in equity. It is your actual cash value of the property. Well, the same is true for your business. Ironically, of course, one way to get a business loan is to prove that you don't need one. And the way to do that is to have equity built up in your business. This can be done by retaining earnings or through a cash injection from an owner. Most banks like to see what your debt is no more than four times your equity. You need equity to make sure your ratio is penciled out.
the amount your business owes versus the amount it is worth is called its debt-to-equity ratio. Your balance sheet will help you determine this. 2. Experience More relevant to a new startup, your experience in the business and your experience in the area that the loan is going toward is a final factor a banker will look at when conducting a lending analysis. So, do you qualify for a business loan? Let's find out. 1. Do you have a good credit history? Yes or no. 2. Are the taxes up to date? Yes or no. 3. Can the business repay the loan? Yes or no. 4. Does the business have equity? Yes or no. 5. Does the business not have a lot of debt? Yes or no. 6. Do you, the owner, have your money invested in the business? Yes or no. 7. Does the business have collateral? Yes or no. 8. Would you be willing to personally guarantee the loan? Yes or no. 9. Do you have a solid management team? Yes or no. 10. Do you have a business plan? Yes or no. Scoring. Unless you answered yes to all questions, you may have had a hard time getting a conventional bank loan. SBA loans. The U.S. government and its arm, the Small Business Administration, want you to succeed. And one way they help you do it is through the SBA's various loan guarantee programs. Again, the SBA does not make the loans, but by guaranteeing loans made by the selected banks, the SBA expands the pool of small businesses that are able to qualify for debt financing. This chart explains the different loans available. Loan 7A, amount up to $2 million, length 7 years, discussion, the SBA's basic loan program. SBA Express, up to $2 million, 7 years, Answers in 36 hours. Microloan, up to $35,000, 6 years, often used for small startups. Disaster recovery, varies, varies, disaster relief loans. CDC slash 504, $1 million, 5 to 10 years, long-term investment for fixed asset purchases. LODOC, up to $150,000, 5 to 10 years, answers within 36 hours. Cap lines, up to $2 million, up to five years, for short-term and cyclical working capital needs. Community Express, up to $250,000 for seven years, applicable for low and moderate income areas. Export Express, see also SBA Export Working Capital Loans, up to $250,000, five to 25 years, for companies that export. International Trade, up to $1.25 million, up to 25 years, for companies engaged in or hurt by international trade. Equity financing. Going into debt or debt financing is one way to fund expansion. The other is called equity financing. Many growth stage small businesses use equity financing to fund expansion plans. As its name implies, equity financing occurs when you sell part of the business in exchange for capital. The deal can take many forms, from the sale of shares in a corporation, to adding a partner, to adding members of your LLC, as in the startup stage. Equity financing often comes from non-professional investors, such as family members, friends, business associates, or industry colleagues. The other form of equity funding comes from professional investors known as venture capitalists, VCs, and angel investors. VCs are typically groups of wealthy individuals or financial institutions, and most specialize in a few industries that the members know well. In the Silicon Valley, for example, the lion's shares of VCs are former computer executives who want to invest in a new high-tech startup. Angels are individuals who want to invest in growth opportunity businesses. VCs, while certainly on the lookout for the next big thing, more often look to invest in companies that are three to five years old, that have a solid plan, and sound management team in place able to execute that plan. VCs will look at and listen to hundreds of pitches and plans before investing in the cream of the crop. Extending credit to customers. The flip side of getting credit is extending credit. Offering terms of net 30 or 60 is common. Net 30 should be your maximum but should not be undertaken lightly. If you do extend credit, you will need to create an accounts receivable plan, send out invoices monthly, and then keep track of who has paid and who has not. It takes time. While you likely will need to extend credit to get business, you do not have to extend it to everyone. The important thing when extending credit to customers is to limit your risk 
by investigating the credit worthiness of the customer. And remember this rule. If a customer can't or won't pay when he or she wants to hire you, when they need you most, they probably won't pay later. You do not need every customer that comes in the door. Be picky about whom you work with. It will prevent problems later. Here is what a credit application should look like. Business name, other names of the businesses, names of the owners, legal structure of business, address, phone and fax, taxpayer ID number or social security number, number of years in business, trade references, one, two or three, bank references, one and two, credit amount requested, the undersigned authorizes inquiry as to credit information and acknowledges that credit privileges, if offered, can be withdrawn at any time for any reason, date and signed. You then need to filter this information through a credit reporting bureau like Equifax or TransUnion. Michael Gerber, author of the best-selling small business book, The E-Myth, says there are six reasons why businesses fail. 1. Lack of management systems. 2. Lack of vision. 3. Poor financial planning. 4. Not understanding your market. 5. Competition. 6. Underfunding. Credit cards and checks. It is a proven fact that accepting credit cards mean you will sell more. It allows customers to make impulse buys and pay for things when they don't have the cash. The downside is that it is not inexpensive to take credit cards. Expect to pay the discount rate from 1.5% to 3%, the amount you pay per transaction. Equipment costs. You either lease or purchase equipment. Monthly fees for your merchant account. To accept credit cards, you need to establish a merchant account with each of the credit card companies whose card you want to accept. You can do this through your own bank. If you have a hard time setting up a merchant account at your bank for credit reasons, look online or in the yellow pages for independent credit card processing companies. They are more expensive, but are more flexible, too. After your merchant account is set up, you will receive a startup kit and instructions explaining how to swipe cards and get authorization. Finally, the same prudence that goes into extending credit also must go into the acceptance of checks. Of course, you need to see proper ID when taking a check from a customer, but beyond that, keep two tips in mind. First, don't accept new checks. Checks without a name imprinted on them or numbered 1-500 indicate new accounts, and new accounts are the ones most likely to bounce checks. Second, wait for any check to clear before giving a refund. Chapter 18 Insurance. Insurance, an ingenious modern game of chance which the player is permitted to enjoy the comfortable conviction that he is beating the man who keeps the table. That is a quote from Ambrose Bierce. September 11, 2001, had profound effects on business, one of which is that it made business owners take a second look at their insurance policies and needs. Yet insurance is fairly oxymoronic. You buy something you hope you never need. But even so, you sure are glad it is there when you do need it. Types of insurance. When you own a small business, the array of potential insurance products can be overwhelming. What type of insurance are really important? Health. Employees constantly rank health benefits among the most important benefits of employment. Because it is so important and complicated, this issue is dealt with extensively in Chapter 27, Employee Benefits Demystified. Business Owner. Business owner insurance is also known as catch-all coverage. It is a basic policy that provides protection from fire and other mishaps, as well as some liability protection. See next item. Property casualty. Just as you insure your house against property loss, so too must you insure your business for the same. Property insurance protects your business against physical damage or loss of business assets. It is used when your troubles like fire, theft, explosion, or vandalism damage or destroy your equipment inventory or buildings. Consider insuring the following. Buildings and structures, whether leased or owned. Equipment, whether leased or owned. Inventory, machinery, cars and trucks, computers, printers, fax and phone equipment, furniture and supplies, money and securities, important papers, books and documents, signs, fences and other outdoor property, intangible property, like goodwill. How much should you expect to pay for property insurance? 
It depends upon your claim's history, the insurer, what you want insured, the type of structure, whether you have any protective safety measures, and the location of your property vis-a-vis high-risk areas. As with the rest of your insurance needs, you need to shop around, as rates can vary widely. Liability. Also known as Comprehensive General Liability, or CGL insurance, this is a policy that has two functions. First, if someone is injured because of the negligence of you or other employees, the policy pays the claim. Secondly, if you are sued for damages relating to the policy, it will pay the cost of your attorney. Needless to say, in this litigious society of ours, liability insurance is almost a must. Workers' Compensation Workers' Compensation Insurance is required in every state except Texas. Note, however, that not every employer is required to carry it in some states. Small businesses with few employers, typically less than five, are not required to carry workers' compensation insurance. Check with your state insurance commissioner's office. Like CGL insurance, workers' comp does two things. First, it covers medical bills and lost wages for injured employees. Secondly, if an employer is injured or killed, it protects the owner against claims by the injured employee's family. Additionally, you can buy extra coverage that protects you from claims of sexual harassment or discrimination. Rates for workers' comp depend on how long you have been in business, your state, and the number of claims you have. Rates are usually set for three years, after which the insurer compares the number of claims you submitted against other small businesses. If you have less, some insurance companies give you a refund. One way, then, to reduce your premiums is by having a good safety record. Your insurer may require that you follow Occupational Health and Safety Administration Guidelines, OSHA, or classify your employees, since insurer-based premiums, at least in part, on the risk of injury for various job classifications. It is sometimes difficult for small businesses to get affordable workers' compensation insurance. In response, some states have created risk-sharing pools for those companies. Do not expect to find many discounts if forced into this option, however, as this is the insurance of last resort. Errors and Omissions, E&O E&O insurance is for the service businesses and offers protection if you neglect to do something causing a customer or client damage. For example, a physician's medical malpractice insurance is a type of E&O coverage. Business Interruption Business Interruption Insurance, BII, is designed to cover the loss of income if normal business operations are disrupted by damage due to fire, flood, or other disaster. The important thing to understand here is that B11 is intended to cover loss of income directly related to loss of physical property. Thus, if your location is vital to your ability to make money, then business interruption insurance is important. A service business would probably not need BII, as they can perform their services almost anywhere, but a factory would definitely need business interruption insurance. Key Man Like the name indicates, this sort of policy insures your business against the death of a key employee, be it the CEO, Vice President of Sales, or whomever. Think about it. What would happen to your business if a key employee died? For some small businesses, the company would die too. The important things to understand about key man insurance is if your top management is thin, if one or two people are responsible for keeping the ship afloat, then key man is key. Buy as much as your business can afford. Accurately estimate what it would cost the company if the key man or woman were to vanish and buy a policy for that amount if you can afford it. Auto. If your business makes deliveries or if you provide employees with company cars, then auto insurance is a must. While you may be tempted to purchase the minimum coverage required by your state, that is not enough since the point of insurance is to protect your business. If your driver kills someone in an auto accident, a minimal $25,000 policy will equal bankruptcy. For an established business, $1 million in liability coverage is probably right. A better way to keep your premiums down is to increase your deductible. Life. Why are you in business for yourself? One reason, surely, is that you want to create financial stability for your family. Well, what if something happens to you? What becomes of the dream then? Without adequate life insurance, it probably will turn into a nightmare. 
Beyond that, many banks require that the owner of the business have life insurance before the bank will loan the business money. When shopping for life insurance, you will be faced with a decision. Term or a whole life policy. Whole life is like buying a house. As you pay the premium, you build equity into the policy. Term is like renting. It is cheaper, but you build no equity. In this case, renting is probably better than buying as rates for term life insurance are amazingly affordable. Even though you will not be building equity, the money you save is usually better spent in other areas of your business. Premiums for business insurance are tax deductible as a business expense. Although life and key man insurance premiums are not deductible, if the business is the beneficiary of the policies. Buying insurance. The preceding list of potential insurance is a bit daunting, and no one is telling you that you must buy all of it. Sure, it would be nice, but just as in the rest of your business, choosing what sort of insurance you really need is a matter of weighing the risks and rewards. There is a finite limit on what you can realistically do, and sometimes you simply must marshal your resources to the best of your ability and hope for the best. To save as much as you can, then on your insurance costs it is important to know the difference between an insurance agent and an insurance broker because it is a distinction that can save you money. An agent is an agent for a single company. He or she may be able to get you a good deal but only within the company that they represent. A broker, on the other hand, represents many different insurers and thus has the ability to shop your needs around to many different insurers and find you the best deal out there. The second way to reduce the cost of your premiums is to take the highest deductible that you can reasonably afford. Needless to say, it has to be an amount that you can actually afford. There's no point in taking a $5,000 deductible if your small business will be unable to absorb the difference. Another way to make the payments more manageable is to create a payment plan that works for your budget. Fortunately, insurance companies are quite flexible when it comes to payment of the premiums. You can pay every month or quarterly or yearly for that matter. So find yourself a good insurance broker and go over your needs. He or she will be able to guide you to making the right decisions and to obtaining coverage that is right for your business. Exclusions Whatever policy you look at, be sure that you understand what the exclusions will be. Exclusions are those things that the policy does not cover, and every policy will have some. Some policies will have many, and there are not many things business-wise worse than having a loss. Thinking you are covered and then discovering that the type of loss you suffered was specifically excluded in the fine print of your policy. For example, a property loss policy will likely exclude losses due to the theft by an employee. So be sure you know before you sign what is covered and what is not. There are four basic parts to an insurance policy. One, the declarations page. This names the policy holder, explains what is insured, and lists the maximum payout by the insurer. Two, insurance agreement. This section sets out the responsibilities of both sides under the insurance contract. Three, conditions. This section details exactly what is covered and under what circumstances. Four, exclusions. This area details what is covered and what is not. Making a claim. The time may come when you suffer a loss and need to make a claim against your carrier. Insurance companies are sticklers for details, and if you do not follow procedures to the letter, you may find that they will deny your claim, and legitimately. So follow these tips to ensure that your insurance works for you. Before making a claim, be sure that you have excellent records and that they are kept in a safe, secure spot, preferably off-site. All receipts, backups of important files, and backups of computer data should be readily accessible so that you can get to them easily. Similarly, it is a good practice to make a video of your premises and property every year. Spend some time going around and documenting what you have where. Then put the tape with your other vital records in your secure location. It will be invaluable if you ever need it. The main reason for keeping good records is that it speeds up the claims process. The longer it takes you to gather the information that your insurer needs, the longer it will take to process your claim, and the longer it takes to process your claim, the longer it will take to get that check. After a loss, follow these steps when making a claim. 1. Report the incident immediately. Tell your agent or carrier about the problem as soon as you can. Some policies require notification within a set time limit and can deny coverage if notice comes in too late. 2. 
protect your property from further damage. If it is a property loss claim, such policies often require that damaged property be kept safe from further damage. 3. Provide documentation. If you have receipts, copy and provide them. If you made that videotape, get it out. 4. Communicate and cooperate. The easier you make it for the adjuster, the easier it will be for you. Chapter 19. Get a handle on taxes. To you taxpayers out there, let me say this. Even though income taxes can be a pain in the neck, the folks at the IRS are regular people just like you, except that they can destroy your life. That was a quote by Dave Barry. Taxes are one of those areas in which almost every entrepreneur hates dealing. So I will make you the same deal I make with the readers of my weekly USA Today column. www.usatoday.com slash money slash small business slash front dot htm. Whenever I write about taxes, twice a year, April and December, give me just a bit of your time and I'll make this as painless as possible and hopefully save you some money in the process. Tax Basics The amount you or your business will pay in annual taxes depends on several factors. The legal form of your business, how much money it made that year, what your expenses were, how sharp your accountant is, how much you personally know about the tax system. Here is what you need to know about taxes if you run a small business. Deductions You already know that you can deduct ordinary and necessary business expenses to reduce your taxable income. That's the easy part. Travel, supplies, inventory, labor costs, all are deductible from your federal income taxes. The real question is, are there any loopholes you can use? Entertainment. While you used to deduct up to 80% of all legitimate entertainment expenses, the limit now is 50%. The good news is that almost any entertainment activity that relates to business can be deducted. A round of golf, important dinners, taking a client to a game or a concert, or even a day on a boat. Keep records, all receipts, and be able to prove that the expense was actually related to business. Write on this receipt whom you were with before filing it away. If you throw a party, picnic, or some other entertainment event for your staff and families, these expenses are 100% deductible. Travel. As you know, travel expenses you incur for business are 100% deductible. However, if your family joins you for a business trip to Orlando, their expenses are not deductible. But the loophole is that if you stay over for a night or two to get a discounted airfare, your extra hotel and meals are deductible. Automobile. There are two methods of calculating your vehicle deduction. The standard mileage methods allows you to deduct 36 cents per mile when you drive the car for business as well as business-related tolls and parking expenses. The actual expense method permits you to deduct your total expenses for gas and repairs plus depreciation. Then, multiply your expenses by your percentage of business use. For example, if your total auto expenses are $10,000 and you use the car 40% for personal use and 60% for business use, your deductible auto expenses would be $6,000. Keep a log of when the car is driven for which purpose. Business losses. These can be deducted against your personal income. If the amount your business lost is more than your personal income, the extra loss can be applied to future income taxes. Loans and credit cards. Interest on the loans, purchases, or advances can be deducted as a business expense. Professional association fees are deductible. You can deduct up to $25 per business gift given. Bank charges, magazines and books, losses due up to theft, commissions paid, website development, parking and tolls, seminars, and even bus fare are deductible. Charity. Sole proprietors, partnerships, LLCs, and S-corporations can have charitable contributions passed through and deducted on the owner's personal tax return. C-corporations claim any charitable deductions for themselves. Taxes. Sales taxes on the items you buy for the business are deductible. Fuel and excise tax are often overlooked deductions. Property tax and local assessments are deductible as are employment taxes you pay, although the self-employment tax paid by individuals is not deductible and neither is federal income tax paid. Small businesses lose audits when they have poor records, so keep all receipts, cancelled checks, credit card statements, and so forth. If you do keep good records and you are ever audited, your chances of success of not getting hit with an extra assessment and fine will be much greater. Keep good records. 
Other tax basics. Employees and taxes go hand in hand. When hired, your employees need to fill out a federal W-4 form and an Immigration and Naturalization Service Form I-9. As you begin to pay them, you deduct a variety of taxes from their paychecks. Social Security, Social Security taxes, also known as FICA, must be withheld from an employee's pay. Match the amount withheld and paid to the federal government. Medicare, Medicare must also be withheld. Match and pay this amount too. Unemployment tax. You need to withhold, match, and pay this tax too. State income taxes. These too are withheld. Because payroll and employee withholding is such a complicated area, you are strongly advised to hire a payroll service like ADP, Paychecks, or something similar. Sales taxes. Unless you live on one of the five states that have no sales tax, parts of Alaska, Delaware, Montana, New Hampshire, and Oregon, and if you sell a product, you will owe your state tax money. What you will owe varies greatly. Not only does the amount vary by state, but some states taxes services as well as products. Check with your state tax board to see whether the rules apply to you. If your service or product is subject to your state's sales tax, register with your state's tax department. Track taxable and non-taxable sales, and then include that information with your state tax return. There are two exceptions to the sales tax rules, which is essentially to pay tax on anything sold to anyone. The first is resellers, such as wholesalers and retailers with a real sale license, who do not owe sales tax. Also, you owe no sales tax on sales to tax-exempt organizations like public schools and churches. Deadlines. When you own your own small business, be aware of tax deadlines beyond April 15th. Corporations must file the returns within two and a half months after the end of their fiscal year. Quarterly estimated taxes are due four times a year, April 15th, June 15th, September 15th, and January 15th. Sales taxes. Sales taxes are due quarterly or monthly depending upon what state you are in. Employee taxes. Employee taxes may be due weekly, monthly, or quarterly depending on the number of employees you have. Quarterlies should be paid by any small business that expects to pay at least $500 in taxes for the year. You are supposed to pay either 90% of the tax you will owe or up to 100% of the previous year's tax. Property taxes. If your business owns real estate, it will owe property taxes. Moreover, if you lease property, your lease may require you to pay the property taxes. In some leases, the owner pays the base year taxes, an amount equal to the amount owed the year before the lease was signed and the leasee, you, owe any increases. In most places, the tax rate on commercial property is significantly higher than on residential property. Tax tips. All small business owners want to save on their taxes. The question is how? There are many different strategies you can adopt to help you reduce your tax bite. Do not wait until December 31st before deciding to take action. Some pre-planning can go a long way to reducing Uncle Sam's take come tax time. Set up a retirement account. The self-employed have the opportunity to divert pre-tax dollars into different types of retirement savings accounts and thereby reduce their yearly taxable income. Kioch plans. A Kioch retirement plan allows self-employed taxpayers to contribute significant sums. It varies, but up to $41,000 every year into a tax-free account. Kioks are fairly complicated to create and the assistance of a financial advisor is required. There are several benefits to starting a Kioch retirement plan. Contributions are deducted from the gross income. Taxes are deferred until the money is withdrawn. Interest earned is also tax deferred until withdrawn. Contribution amounts are more liberal than the IRAs. Solo 401k. This plan is great because of its high contribution limits. Like a Kioch, a Solo 401k currently allows you to contribute up to $41,000 a year into your retirement account, but here the amount you can contribute rises as you get older. SEP IRAs. A simplified employee pension individual retirement account, SEP IRA, is a plan that allows you to contribute and deduct up to 20% of your income into a tax-deferred retirement account. SEPs are indeed simple. They can be created in a few minutes at a bank or a brokerage house with no professional help required and no annual government reports are required. They beat regular IRAs because they allow for larger contributions. You may be tempted to also set up a traditional Roth IRA, 
while that may be good for retirement purposes, it does little for your business-wise's contributions are not tax-deductible. Note, if you do set up a SEP solo 401k or Kioch, you have to offer it to your employees as well. This means you will likely need to make contributions that don't just cover you. Because of this, consult with an employee benefits pro before setting up any sort of retirement plan for you and your employees. One last bonus for creating a business retirement plan. You can get a tax credit of up to $500 for the first three years of the plan if you have less than 100 employees. Lease your property to your business. If your business uses property that you personally own, you can save on business taxes by leasing the property to the business. The lease expense to the business is tax deductible and the income you generate personally from the lease income is not subject to Social Security tax. You can then take any applicable depreciation allowance for the leased property. The IRS has an excellent site devoted exclusively to small business with industry-specific information, audit guides, links, and more. Go to www.irs.gov slash businesses, B-U-S-I-N-E-S-S-E-S slash small s-m-a-l-l slash dot. Use the tax laws. The Jobs and Growth Tax Relief Reconciliation Act of 2003 offered plenty of help for the small business owner. The best part of the bill is the generous change in the rules for depreciating business expenditures. Previously, equipment and business assets had to be depreciated over a five to seven year time span. Under the new rules, however, you can now depreciate and deduct 100% of the cost of almost all new and used assets in the year that you buy them. Also previously, the deduction topped out at $25,000, but you can now depreciate up to $100,000 for any asset required after May 5th, 2003. Re-examine your business structure. If you have been in business for a while and are profitable, it may be smart to change your legal form of business. For instance, a growing S corporation may want to become a C corporation to take advantage of benefit programs limited to C corporations, such as group term life insurance and various health plan options. A newly profitable sole proprietor may want to form an LLC to get personal liability protection or to form an S-corporation to reduce the self-employment tax. Pay your quarterlies. Make sure that you are paying your quarterly estimated taxes on time and in sufficient amounts to avoid penalties and interest down the road. Delaying your receivables and accelerating your expenses. At the end of the tax year, if your business expects to have significant income from accounts receivables, consider delaying those receivables until after the first of the year. Doing so will reduce your business net taxable income for that year. Similarly, if you anticipate a large tax bite at the end of the year, consider accelerating some expenses into the current tax year. Expenses that can be accelerated include corporate charitable contributions, 60% of health insurance premiums for you if you are a self-employed individual, year-end employee bonuses, or any other tax-deductible expenses you are planning on making. Deducting your home office. If you use part of your home for business, you may be eligible for the home office deduction. Here's the rule. 1. Your home office must be used exclusively and regularly for your business. And 2. The area must be either your principal place of business or where you meet with customers in the normal course of business. If you pass that test, then you can deduct a portion of your mortgage, insurance, utilities, and so on. Surviving an audit. Even if you know your tax law and do everything right, the chances of getting audited are greater for you than the, for the public at large. Why? Because small businesses are audited more than any other entity. So, if you do get that dreaded letter and do have to attend a tax audit, here is what you should do. Get some help. If you have a CPA, considering hiring her to help you prepare and to attend the meeting. Your accountant should be your financial business advisor, and this is when you need her most. If you can't afford an accountant, you must do on your own what she would do. Prepare. Look at the returns in question and be able to substantiate with those good records you were advised in to keep what is in the return. You, or you, and your accountant need to prepare all documentation for the audit. Be organized. Make sure your receipts are organized, your canceled checks and credit card receipts are in order, and that all logs and other records are ready. Having your ducks in a row builds credibility. The success of your audit depends upon your ability to document your income and expenses. 
you will want to have ready for the auditor bank statements, cancel checks, receipts, invoices, sales slips, petty cash vouchers, printouts of electronic records, bills, checkbook registers, ledgers, journals, appointment books, and any other physical documentation of your records. Without adequate records, the IRS auditor can legally make assumptions about your income and deductions. Prepare your listed property records. Equipment that has both personal and business use is called listed property. Things like home computers, cell phones, and autos. Provide the auditor with business records of your listed property. Prepare your travel and entertainment records. T&E expenses must be proven by written record, IRS Code 267. One way to document T&E expenses is with an appointment book or log. As you can see, winning an audit will be much more likely if you have a practice of maintaining records, keeping receipts, and chronicling electronically what you do. Chapter 20 Legal Ease 1 It's easier to stay out than to get out. That's a quote by Mark Twain. Like taxes and insurance, law is one of those areas that entrepreneurs would rather not think about, and when they do, it usually is unpleasant. Yet you need to know what you need to know. There is a litigation explosion in this country. Businesses are prime targets known in the trade as deep pockets, and you need to arm yourself with knowledge. Therefore, in this chapter and the next, you get a primer on business law so that you know what to avoid and what to talk to your lawyer about if something does go wrong. One caveat, although I am a lawyer, no audiobook can take the place of an attorney who knows you, your situation, and the facts. As such, while the general information I provide can educate you, if you do find yourself in legal hot water, meet with a lawyer in person. Contracts. Contracts are the easy stuff. They are like your personal set of laws. As long as you bargain in good faith and the subject of the contract is legal, that is, you can't legally contract to open a house of prostitution, just about anything you and the other side agree to will fly. However, not every promise is legally enforceable. To create a legally enforceable promise or set of promises, three requirements must be met that raise the promises to the level of a legal contract. 1. Offer. The first part of any contract is a clear and unambiguous offer. I will buy 200 pounds of your flour at $8 a pound is a clear and specific offer inviting a clear and specific response. On the other hand, I think I would like to buy some flour is not an offer because it is neither specific nor an unambiguous offer to accept specific terms. Offers remain open unless accepted, but may be revoked in any time. So if you offer to buy the flour for $8 a pound, find it elsewhere for half the price, and your offer has not been accepted, then you can still revoke the offer. However, if the flower seller has accepted your offer, you cannot revoke it. 2. Acceptance Like an offer, an acceptance must be clear and unambiguous. I accept is an acceptance, but that sounds good, let me call you back in an hour, is not. The point of a contract is to allow a willing seller and a willing buyer to enter into commercial transaction with the clearly defined terms. Hence, the acceptance must be equally obvious. What if the seller says, I'll sell you the flour for $10 a pound? In that case, the $8 offer is deemed rejected, and the seller just made a $10 counteroffer, which you now have the power to accept or reject. This offer or counteroffer dance can go on ad infinitum. The one exception to this is a commercial transaction between merchants where there is an acceptance with minor changes that do not materially alter the original offer. In that case, pursuant to the Uniform Commercial Code, UCC, the offer is deemed accepted and the changes become part of the contract. What does material mean? That's what you hire lawyers for. There are times when offers are not actually accepted but are enforceable. This occurs, for example, when the acceptance occurs as actual performance. My offer to purchase 200 pounds of flour can be accepted by delivery of 200 pounds of flour. 3. Consideration To create a valid, legally enforceable contract, aside from offer and acceptance, you also need a bargain for exchange. Legally, quid pro quo, or this for that, called consideration. 
In essence, this means that you have to give up something to get something. My money for your flower. If I said I'll wash your car this afternoon, you said okay. No contract has been formed, even though there has been an offer and an acceptance. Why? Because there has been no consideration. You give up nothing for me to wash your car. It's just a promise on my part with none on your part, and therefore it's not legally enforceable. You need offer, acceptance of that offer, and a bargain for exchange to create a valid, legally enforceable contract. There is one legal tenet that helps you get around the need for consideration. If you make a promise, and I rely on that promise to my detriment, and it was reasonably foreseeable that I would rely on that promise, I can get that promise enforced, even if we did not have a formal contract. For instance, if you say, I will give you $5,000 if you drive my car to Los Angeles, and I do, I relied to my detriment on your promise, and I can enforce it in a court of law. There are a few other things about contracts that you need to know. It is good business to have every contract in writing. Although only certain contracts have to be in writing, most notably those for the sale of land for purchases of over $500 and employment contracts that last more than a year, memories fade over time, and people choose to remember things wrong. If it's not in writing, there is no record of whose recollection is actually correct. Get it in writing. Avoid oral contracts. Remember, too, that standard or form contracts can be modified. A contract is also known as an agreement for a reason. You need to agree to it. If there is a clause in a standard contract you do not like, negotiate to change or delete it. Be specific as possible in your contract so that nothing is left to chance. Ambiguity breeds litigation. The first one to breach a contract usually loses. Yes, there are legitimate reasons that may excuse performance. The contract was entered into by mistake, fraud, or impossible to perform. But usually, the first breacher loses. If you would like to draft your own contracts, or otherwise be your own lawyer, then go to www.nolo.com. Nolo Press is the leader in do-it-yourself law and offers a wide array of excellent books and software to help you. Negligence and Liability When ice on your walkway, ice that you already asked your employee to remove, but that he did not, causes a customer to slip, fall, and break her arm, that is legally called negligence. Being found negligent can be one of the worst things that can happen to your business, since the damages can be astronomical. Whereas a breach of contract merely means that the loser has to pay the winner the value of the contract, a negligent suit can cost you hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, as you are obligated to pay the defendant for his pain and suffering. Here is the standard of care you and your employees are obliged to maintain. You must act as a reasonably prudent person would under the same or similar circumstances. If you do not, and if that breach of duty causes someone damage, you will have to pay. In the case of the ICE, a reasonably prudent employee would have removed the ice when his boss asked him to. If he did not, and that caused the customer to slip and fall and get hurt, then the business would be found liable because of its negligence. That is why many small businesses enact standards, policies, and procedures for employees to do certain duties in a certain way. If the standards you adopt are adhered to, it is less likely that someone will get hurt, and even if they do get hurt, it will be more difficult for them to prove you fell below the standard of care. If you have policies and procedures in a place intended to avoid just this sort of accident, your policies and procedures prove that you are a reasonably prudent business owner. See? But accidents do happen and people do get hurt. That is why you are also strongly advised to buy liability insurance. Yes, your premiums will go up if claims are made against your policy, but it sure beats paying the damages out of pocket. The most famous case in the history of negligence law is called Palsgraf versus Long Island Railroad. In that case, Mrs. Palsgraf was standing at one end of the platform of the Long Island Railroad after buying a ticket. A train stopped at the other end of the station, and a gentleman carrying a package raced for the car. A Long Island Railroad employee on the car held the door open, reached to help the gentleman in, and another guard on the platform pushed the man up from behind. 
The man's package dislodged, fell to the ground. The fireworks inside the package exploded, and the shock of the explosion knocked over some scales at the far end of the platform near Mrs. Palgrove, injuring her. Quiz, did she win? Nope. The court ruled that the actions of the employees, while negligent towards the man, were not so in relation to Mrs. Palgrove. The key to avoid negligence claims is to maintain a safe place of employment set standards, and enforce those standards. Product liability. If you manufacture, wholesale, distribute, or sell retail products, you need to be concerned with a special subset of negligence law called product liability law. If a product you manufactured, wholesaled, or sold injures a consumer, everyone in the supply chain between you and the buyer may be legally affected. In the case of a defective product, there are three legal theories to be concerned about. 1. Negligence. Here again, the injured party would need to show that the seller or manufacturer breached the standard of care. For instance, if a car's wheel fell off because it was not bolted on properly at the plant, the manufacturer of the car would be found liable for any injuries that resulted. 2. Breach of implied warranty. If you, the small business owner, make either an express or implied warranty or representation about what a product will do, and the product fails to live up to that, causing you harm, you may be found liable for the injury under this theory. Many states have limited the use of this theory to business matters where the buyer has suffered economic loss only. Whatever representations you make, the product must perform up to that standard. So one way to limit your risk is to avoid making any representations in your advertising or marketing materials as they may later be used against you. 3. Strict liability. This is the scary one. If an injured party can show that 1. the product was defective at the time the seller sold it, and 2. the defect caused the injury, then you are on the hook. Unlike negligence, the injured party does not need to prove that you breached some standard. Rather, he needs to prove only that the product was defective for whatever reason. Your prudence and care is no defense. That is why they call this strict liability. When Firestone tires began to explode, you can bet strict liability was a theory the plaintiff's attorney used. There are several things you can do to minimize your risk of being sued for product liability. First, Try not to ship or sell defective products. Inspect what you can. Second, warn where possible. Warning of dangers is a valid defense, and now you know why you see those crazy warning labels on products. Next, be careful about what you say and promise in your promotions. Also, consider using disclaimers. A conspicuous tax disclaiming any liability for damage caused by the product may protect you in some circumstances. Finally, specify the useful life of the product. Harm caused after the expiration of the useful life cannot be attributed to you. Intellectual property. An altogether different area of the law, but one no less important to your business, is intellectual property law. It has to do with intangible assets like words, phrases, and pictures. These may in fact be your most important assets. Let's use Nike as an example. How important is that swoosh logo? That is intellectual property, a trademark. What about the name Nike? That is also intellectual property, trademark. Its shoes, patented. It's a tagline, just do it. Yep, that is intellectual property too. Intellectual property is no less important in small business. You need to know how to protect your business name, logo, inventions, and so on. There are five areas of intellectual property that may help you. Trademarks, copyrights, patents, trade secrets, and goodwill. Let's look at each. Trademark. A trademark is a word, phrase, design, or symbol that identifies your business and distinguishes it from the competition. A service mark is essentially the same thing. It identifies a service you provide. Examples of trademarks are Dr. Pepper or the Portland Trailblazers. Trademarking your business name or logo is quite easy. To get full trademark protection, register your mark with the Federal Trademark Office. Log on to www.uspto.gov, the website of the United States Patent and Trademark Office, and follow the directions. Copyright. 
A copyright protects the original physical expression of a creative idea. The sentence is a copyrighted sentence. To be copyrightable, the ideas must be unique, tangible, written or taped, for instance, and a work of authorship. Musical scores, magazine articles, choreographed dances, photographs, movies, and sculptures would be examples of copyrightable expressions. Copyrights last the life of the author plus 75 years, and the creator owns the copyright, although if the creator created the thing working for someone else, the employer would own the copyright. You own the copyright to any works your employees create in the fulfillment of their duties. This is called work for hire. One of the best aspects of copyright law is that there is nothing to register. As soon as you create the thing, it is copyrighted as a matter of law. This sentence is being copyrighted as I write it. Certainly you can register.